In today's episode, we're talking about operations and guest experience. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles that have helped guide their success throughout their career? And then we apply all those insights to the worlds of sports and entertainment, hospitality, live events, service, your organization. Now, today we are sitting down with my friend, Vanessa Ward. And Vanessa is the Vice President of Event Services for the Phoenix Suns. So I've known her since before this role. Uh, I knew her back when she was with the Chicago Cubs, where she was the Director of Guest and Associate Experience. Before that, we've got a lot in common because she's one of many people that have Disney experience that are now in the sports space. We've had other guests on that are just like that, like my friend Cami Testa, uh, who is out on the West Coast at SoFi Stadium. Uh, and you're gonna see more and more of that as we go on throughout these episodes. Now, that background in Disney that has translated to sports means that she's gained a lot of really cool principles and insights from her different stops that she's now bringing to the Suns. When you think about Disney and the Cubs combined, it's really two iconic traditional organizations that have had to modernize and evolve to get with the times and to be able to be relevant for fans today. Now take that with the Suns for Vanessa, and it's all about relevancy uh, with today's people and today's culture. So uh, I'm excited to dive into this episode with Vanessa to talk about lessons learned throughout her career with Disney and the Cubs and how she's applying that to the Suns, and especially from an operations and a leading people on the front lines perspective. We're going to get really strategic, really tactical in this episode. So if you're an operations leader, this episode's for you. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Vanessa Ward. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I am super hyped to have you here. I know uh, with our shared background of sports and Disney, we're going to have a lot of fun things to talk about. Um, but let's start us off. I mean, hey, congrats on the new role at the Suns. Huge. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so give our listeners a little bit of an idea of what you're doing with the Suns right now and kind of where your focus area is. Sure. So um, right at five months here in Phoenix, uh, I oversee our guest services, traffic support and parking team and security services team with a little bit of VIP premium operations thrown in there as well. So uh, my role is new and it was, it was bought in to kind of bring all those teams together and really look at the end-to-end -end guest experience for all our events here. Cool. Um, so I know we are going to draw on, as you do in your day-to-day -day role, on all of your past experiences. So let's connect those a little bit here. So like really, I mean, throughout your career, you've had a number of unique roles, all in this guest experience umbrella, talking about mm -hmm. like My Magic Plus at Disney uh, to the yeah. guest experience center there. Uh, then with the Cubs kind of overseeing associate and guest experience, now your current role. L let's maybe start with Disney. Can you point to any specific projects or stories from those Disney days that really change how you view guest experience today? 
Yeah, there's probably a lot I could, could think <laughs> back on, um, but I can speak to a few. Um, and I think one that actually stands out is an instance where something didn't go quite as planned, but how okay. we at Disney adapted and moved forward. So um, I think it was my first year there. I was still um, a temporary manager, so on temporary assignments, as a lot of people at Disney know, the, the TA oh, yeah. life. Um, oh, yeah. And we rolled out the new property management system at the time. Um, it, was, it was a new in-house property management system in resorts. Um, and it didn't go super smoothly. So they were rolling out a few resorts at a time. Um, I was at a resort that was kind of on the end of that uh, plan, uh, but went to help at one uh, Orleans Riverside, I think, who had launched okay. in that first wave. Um, and it was, I think, just a learning experience from like guest experience and leadership that I didn't have any uh, more expertise or knowledge than the the staff that were at that resort. You know, we we're kind of all learning by doing. Um, and I looked around the lobby and realized, you know, there wasn't a lot of people out there to help. So it was just jumping in, getting on a desk, uh, telling the guests you're learning as you go to and, and working through that. And um, we were just rebating what we could or giving service recovery, uh, you know, using all those tools available. And that really stuck out to me in my mind of just, you know, sometimes you don't have to have all the answers, but it's the people who put themselves out there that are going to move ahead professionally and potentially make the, the difference on the guest experience side. Like the guest, even if they were frustrated that we couldn't tell them when their room was going to be ready uh, at seven o'clock at night, that at least you were trying uh, and, and they respected that. So I think it's kind of stuck with me. It's just a, a moment that clicked in my head. And then uh, you mentioned the guest experience center. I think certainly that was a, a formative experience. And I think Brian Betts referenced that when you, oh, yeah. when you talk to him. Well, let's wait, let's pause Vanessa, before we go into that, okay. I want to dig into the first story a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, this, this is something I think about that the story of when we opened Disneyland, when Walt did it back in the fifties, right. Where I think there, there were just rides breaking left and right. I mean, people were getting stuck in concrete because it had just gotten laid, right? Like the, the yeah. concrete wasn't completely fresh. But I remember that the, the saying that always got driven home with us was that it people were really willing to forgive us because of those things, because of how nice people were. They said the rides weren't broken, the water fountains didn't work, the bathrooms were messed up, but we're going to come back again because of how we were treated. And so it seems similar that that's how it was for you guys at, at Port Orleans. So I guess talk to us a little bit about some yeah. of talk to us about some of the tactics or strategies that you guys use, because if you're a family of four and you saved up, you've saved up for like four years to come down to Disney, you get there, your room's not ready. This magical experience that you've been waiting for is not there for you. I mean, what were what were some of the specific interactions that you remember and like what were the tools and tactics you used to yeah. kind of conflict resolution almost? Yeah. And I didn't even work at Riverside. I worked at a different resort. So I'm like also not 100% familiar with the property. Um, I remember I was giving back a lot of Disney dining credits. Um, and, you know, that's still in the same system. So you're not 100% sure that what you're doing is working there either. But you're like, I think I'm giving you extra extra meal credits, um, taking people's name and number and giving them your card. And at least you're a person they can reach and not running yeah. through the Disney phone line uh, or having to call the operator, um, you know, and in extreme cases, people were definitely invited back for some vacation do-overs. Um, I think Disney uh, has some of the best service recovery options. You know, they're just such a oh, yeah. plethora of things you can, you can do. So 
it was really running the gamut, but it was also just about like letting them vent to you and uh, being empathetic and understanding, like, we're not going to make excuses. Like, yes, we're really struggling with this new system. And, it, uh, you know, it's not your fault. You just happened to check on on the day we did this. And so it's <laughs> kind of that, that conversation and working through it. I think from a leadership perspective, it was just being there with the staff um, and taking the brunt of that with them, like not leaving them out there to, to fend for themselves on the front desk. All right. So I just heard five totally different things for service <laughs> oh, recovery <laughs> that if, if you're, if you're like, these are like real strategies yeah. that anybody listening to this can apply, right? The first thing that I heard, I'm going to work backwards and try to remember all these, okay. but like the first thing that I heard you say was like, as the leader, just being in the trenches with your staff. I see this too often with, with sports teams where like leaders are really disconnected from what's happening on the front lines uh, because I think they look at it as, hey, operations is doing their thing. I'm in fundraising or donor uh, corporate partnerships, whatever, and you're kind of disconnected from that. But sometimes it's all hands on deck and like it means a lot yeah. to your team if you're in the trenches with them. So that was like yeah. that was the first thing um, that I've seen. And I, we can come back to that concept as well. The next thing I heard was just like hearing them and like emphasize like being there, listening, empathizing with them, saying it's not your fault. You just happened to come on the day that it was down. Because a lot of times upset fans just want to vent, right? Yeah. Um, uh, some other things around service recovery tools. I heard you saying we were giving out dining credits, right? So there's like, what are yeah. your tools that you're equipping your team to actually go out? And like, if you didn't have those tools, you would have been screwed. Like, it's great. Yeah. It's great that you were in it with the trenches. It's great that you were listening. But if you didn't have some of those recovery tools to actually resolve an issue, I feel like you would have been probably like up a creek without a paddle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, having, having some of those options to give dining, I think one of the things that you did that you mentioned was you said, Hey, here's my card connecting them with a real person. Like that's mm -hmm. a huge thing too. Not just like the organization's going to get back to you, letting them know that like, Hey, you have a line here. If you need anything else, like I got your back. Yeah. I'm forgetting what the last one was, but y'all had so many different actual tools to apply. And I think that's the big takeaway for me is like, make sure you're giving your people actual tools and things that they can lean on when stuff inevitably hits the fan. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think having a, a variety in your toolkit, you know, from low cost to very high cost, you want to have that, that spectrum of different options and kind of educate yourself and your staff on matching those to the right occasions. That's huge. So before we get into the guest experience center, let's dig in a little bit on this. Okay. Cause you said this is like a formative thing for how you view customer experience going forward. Yeah. So how have you adapted some of those? Like, let's talk about service recovery specifically. How have you adapted some of that to whether it be with the Cubs or what you're doing now with the Suns? Yeah, I think um, it's, it translates the same from, you know, different lines of business hotels, resorts to, to sports. Um, mm -hmm. It's a little bit different in sports because, you know, in hotels, you're, you might see that guest five days in a row. Uh, here you could see the multiple games, but uh, it's more of a, an instantaneous thing. Um, something we had at the Cubs that we've talked about and I'd love to get started here was like a food and beverage um, kind of VIP card that certain yeah. frontline employees could have so that if you need to go grab a hot dog for someone or a beer, um, it's not a hassle. You don't need managerial approval. You can go to a stand kind of swipe this special card and do that. Um, swag goes a long way and like giftable right? little, little yep. gifts and giveaways and sports is huge. Um, I think same as Disney, everyone loves Disney merchandise. Um, but here, you know, if you can find some bobbleheads or free t-shirts or rally towels and 
drop off a little goodie bag, um, both in the Cubs in here. That's a, that's a really popular one for guests. And then, you know, you, depending on the event, you may have tickets as a, as your kind of high end option of if the, if the experience is not repairable or salvageable during that event, um, you know, leveraging tickets or those other kind of ways to invite someone back and have a redo. Yeah. The food one is really interesting to me because I think, uh, a lot of people hear that and they're like, ah, that's complicated. We got to go through our third party vendor for that. And in reality, you're probably already doing something where like you're, especially for us, where we spend a lot of time working with college athletic departments, where they're already giving some type of meal voucher to employees or to the frontline staff to use during the game. And what we found with, with, uh, with one of our clients this last year is we implemented this, this sort of process with them and that we had people coming up to us after the training and they were like, Hey, we actually already, we already have this program. So there was some confusion there, but they didn't have the program. It was that they, you just had nice ushers that cared a lot about the fans that were using their own meal tickets for service recovery. And it's like, that's huge. But also like, let's, let's, let's add a little bit more on there and like make this an official program. Um, but to your point, I mean, it goes, something like that is little, it's probably not as hard as you think it is. And it goes a long way for the fan. Yeah, Um, exactly. Well, those are great. Well, let's move to the guest experience center. Uh, we cut us off. Let's talk about how your experience working with the guest experience center at Walt Disney world has kind of shaped your view on customer experience. Yeah, that was, uh, just a really cool project to be a part of starting from a team of like four of us, four or five proof of concept to a, to a full blown, like 20 person team, um, and feature animation, um, behind Disney's Hollywood studios. So just a really cool kind of setup there, but that was you very unique in just the way we use guest data and you viewed a guest experience. Um, and I'm, you know, don't have uh, an analytical background by, you know, education or trade, uh, something I was fortunate to learn um, along the way and have some really good teachers at Disney. Um, but I think the kind of two takeaways for me were the power of being proactive and in influencing the guest experience and resolving issues before they happen, um, mm. which was really how we justified that whole team was that we were proactively resolving issues um, before they happened. And then um, personalization, where we started to get at the end um, before I left the team uh, and moved to the Cubs, was starting to predict what guests would like um, based on guest data and other things we knew about them, which I think is if um, anyone's been to Disney recently, they have the Genie app. And a lot of that is now focused on suggestions and predictions of what guests like you like to do, uh, I guess, similar to how Amazon knows what you shop for and serves up everything related. Um, Let's kind of two cool things of like the personalization piece and Mm -hmm. um, being proactive. Okay. Let's dig into that a little bit deeper, but first like kind of, kind of give us a a bigger overarching idea of what the guest experience center was. I think if you, if you've listened to this show for a long time and you've listened to Brian Betts, come on, uh, he talks a lot about it, but for people that haven't heard of about the guest experience center, give a, give us a better idea, 50,000 foot view of what the guest experience center was and is, or maybe if when you left, what, what was it like? And what yeah. Was yeah. I think it's morphed yeah. a few times since then, but yeah. um, you know, at a high level, we were using data to solve or guest issues in real time or when possible proactively correct them before the guests even knew they had them. 
uh, and backing that up a step is with the launch of My Magic Plus, um, guests had to create a profile and do everything through the My Magic Plus or My Disney Experience system, um, which gave us a lot of data and a lot of touch points, but it also gave the guests a lot of room to make errors or missteps when setting up their account that could derail their vacation. An easy example is people in their family that have two people with the same name. Um, so if you have a, a kid yep. and you also named him David Malay um, and you linked your tickets wrong, when you got to the park, it would say like, you're an adult trying to come in on a child's ticket and you know, vice versa. Um, Makes sense. So, or you forgot that you created a profile and you create a whole new profile. And so then when you log in, you know, some of your stuff lives in different places. So some of those things that our team could actually um, uh, created a system that could kind of mine for all those issues and flag them in advance. And then the guest experience center team members, um, along with some teams at Disney Reservation Center, were going through and just proactively correcting those issues before the guests even knew they had them. So that when they got to the park, they got in a-okay um, on the real-time solving issues was uh, also in that same system, we could flag on certain conditions that alerted us that you probably had an issue. Um, it was really cool technology that was all built in-house, but if your whole party got into the Magic Kingdom at 9 a.m., but we see that you didn't get into the Magic Kingdom until 9.45, um, it could be that you were late, uh, but it also is indicative that you might have had a ticketing issue or some other delay or your whole party misses their mind train fast pass. And we see they tried to go at a, the wrong time. Like yeah. you could alert on some of those errors. And then we were texting or calling the guests uh, to say, Hey, we, we think you might've had an issue. Is there anything we could help with? Um, and understand, you know, understandably yeah. they were pretty shocked and surprised that someone reached out to them proactively. Um, Without and we them were able to quickly filing recover. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes we could catch them when they were like in line for guest relations um, if we were quick enough on the text um, and solve it right there on the spot. Uh, so just some really cool stuff. And we saw um, really high um, satisfaction scores after that. So if we caught it uh, before or we caught it quickly, we were driving some real um, change in those uh, so survey scores. So let's dig into that in like the specific yeah. metrics. So one of the comments that you said was uh, that you guys grew from a team of four people to 20 people. And a lot of that was around proactively preventing problems. I I'd love mm -hmm. to dig deeper. I mean, first of all, I'm just trying to imagine it and like put myself in a guest shoes. And if you were a fan and you were waiting in line for guest relations to go file a complaint and you hadn't even told anybody yet and you got a call saying, hey, I see there's an issue. I, I would just be blown away. And that's why Disney's so le next level. Their service isn't yeah. reactive. It's proactive. But let's talk about some of those specific metrics that y'all use to justify growing the team. Uh, so, yeah, we tracked like um, net promoter score, intent to return. Uh, Disney's big on tracking wins. So there's a question that's, did you have a win with a cast member, which is like an above and beyond moment. And so we would see... Um, on the ones that had a problem and we resolved it to compare to people who had a problem um, and we didn't resolve it, whether we couldn't get a hold of them or didn't answer, um, we saw increase, uh, you know, some statistically significant increases 
and their intention to return, likelihood to recommend, number of wins. Um, there's some dollar values that Disney assigns to, you know, intent to return and future guests. And we basically were able to justify paying for the team by saying, you know, we can drive X percent increase in some of these metrics by resolving issues like this. Okay. Uh, let's dig in here as far as you are comfortable. Um, okay. This is something that I feel like from our work that we see a lot of, a lot of teams, if they, a lot of teams completely skimp out on the metrics part, they might do a survey, but it's not necessarily informing decision-making. The next step of that is saying, okay, we actually are tracking scores time over time, and it does impact or game after game, season after season. And we are debriefing around those survey or data points, mm -hmm. and we are making improvements to the operation. The next level that I've not seen any team get to yet is assigning a dollar amount to an increase in those scores. Um, so maybe talk to us about what you've seen in the industry uh, as it relates to assigning a dollar amount to specific metric increases. Have you seen that? Have, are you and your peers talking about it? Tell us a little bit about that. I have not seen that uh, outside of Disney and I don't remember off the top of my head, you know, like what 5% equaled at Disney yeah. other than like the kind of standard that it's, uh, you know, yeah. much easier to retain a customer than the cost to, to get a new one. Um, I do know, um, I think it, peak capacity, the, the guest experience center was running like a $2 million operation. So we were cover, covering all of that, which was pretty cool. Um, haven't seen anyone get to that here. And, uh, you know, candidly here at the Suns, we didn't, didn't have any baseline data when I got here. A lot of their past surveying had been focused more on like the partner side or kind of some of those analytics yep. of like marketing and partnership. And then the NBA does a, a a survey, an annual survey focused on members, but that's more of a kind of an overall experience. You know, it's not a per game. It's a, at this point in time, kind of satisfaction yep. with the overall. Um, so I think that certainly would be something interesting to get to uh, in terms of like KPIs that I focus on. Um, right now we're, so we just launched surveys in mid-December. Um, so we're doing some internal that uh, our team built themselves using Qualtrics. Yeah. And, and that's like the very brief, take the QR code during the game. Like, let's just get some base level data of, of satisfaction levels. Um, I like satisfaction levels because that's something uh, we can control, right? How satisfied you, how satisfied were you with your entry experience, the cleanliness of the venue, um, your staff friendliness. And I think we're asking about um, game entertainment as well. So all things that we as, we as operators can control outside of ticket prices, food and beverage prices, um, outcome of the game, um, yeah. team performance. So these are, we focus on some of those controllables right now. I I'm for that. And we could have a whole discussion on this around yeah. sports and like net promoter score versus customer satisfaction, but I, I'm with you. I, I think satisfaction is a better way to measure within sports because there's so many variables that do impact customer experience that are outside of your team's control. Like did the team mm -hmm. win or lose to your point? Um, and you have a lot of third parties. And so I think customer satisfaction is a, probably a better score to focus on. If you're really, if you're getting started on this and you're listening to this and you're like, there's so many metrics, where do I start? I'd start with yeah. that one. Um, I, I don't know what, what advice would you give to the listeners around that? If, if people are kind of rudimentary in their metrics around customer experience, where would you recommend people start? 
Yeah, I think I would probably go with just those kind of basic ones within your scope, like um, entry experience, because typically the entries are pitch points at most venues. So yep. how, how are guests flowing into your building? Um, at the Cubs, we broke out staff, like between guest services, security, like parking, food and beverage. Right now, we just have one general one um, as we're kind of starting to gather data. Uh, so I think those are some of the easy ones. And then we do have one comment box. Um, you can get a wide variety of responses, but I actually really like scanning the comments because um, you can quickly pick up on anything. When you read them enough, then you can see anything unusual that stands out or anything that's repetitive. Um, so you kind of get that little pulse. Uh, and some are not going to be related to your survey whatsoever. But you can yeah. start, if there's some that stand out to you, then you can be like, oh, let, let me take a, a little deeper look into this or see if see if other guests are mentioning you know this same issue yeah the i think the open-ended we're going down such a rabbit hole but it's okay uh i think the open-ended questions on surveys scare a lot of people because they see a lot of the data and so much of it is like oh this person should have got more playing time yeah. or <laughs> i hate the coach and and i think as a result it turns a lot of leaders off of that, off of looking at those, off those, looking at that data, but it's really important. You can get some really good nuggets out of it. That's where, like, I think some of these new AI tools that are out there. I mean, realistically, you could probably copy all those open-ended responses, put them in an Excel sheet, and then export them to ChatGPT yeah. and say, "Hey, can you summarize this into the top four issues that you're seeing?" Um, mm -hmm. Or if you want to go another level, like you guys are working with Qualtrics right now, I think their FanXM program is really cool. If you haven't looked at that yet, it's super cool. A uh, little on the pricey side, but worth it if you're now starting to tie yeah. metrics to dollars. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Let's let's move topics here. Um, I, I want to move to the Cubs. So we've talked about it a little bit, but we gave two great Disney stories that have kind of shaped your view on things. But the Cubs is a totally different ballgame, right? Really similar yeah. in terms of really a lot of tradition, a lot of history there, but they're making a lot of new innovative moves. So talk to us about how some of your learnings from the Cubs have shaped your view on customer experience today. Yeah. Um, so I think one thing people ask me a lot is like the difference between going from Disney to sports. And I think at its core, the guest service is not that much different, which I'm sure uh, yeah. other folks talk about on here, right? It's understanding guest expectations and how to meet or exceed them and then recovering when you fall short. I think the difference is um, the timing and the cadence, right? That at Disney, it's 24-7, 365, like you're in a rhythm, you're in a routine. Um, baseball, you have those longer homestands, um, but you also can have some longer breaks. So it's how do you keep your, keeping your staff engaged in that service level high uh, 81 plus times a year when most staff are working maybe 50, 60 games and you don't have, you know, the same touch points with every staff to teach them everything, every game. So that was certainly like a learning and adjustment um, for me, which I think then kind of evolved into that employee experience piece that I had on there as well of like, it's not just the focused on the guest experience, but it's the employee experience and how do we keep part-time seasonal staff engaged and performing at a high level um, on a seasonal basis. It, it is so funny that you say that because, I mean, that is that's where we've been focusing really heavily yeah. the last 12 months since coming out of the pandemic. Because I think, to your point, that is what every operations leader is struggling with the most. It's like 
forget having our people smile. Like I'm, I'm just trying to keep, get them to come back and work another yeah. game. And, and that is a big issue. So that's where we've been focusing a lot. So I'm curious, like how, obviously baseball to basketball, different number of events, but you guys are at a venue now. So you probably are doing events year round. What are, what have been Lots some of the strat, yeah. what, what are some of the strategies you've been using to create deeper engagement with your employees that are ultimately responsible for creating that end customer experience? Uh, I think we're just starting to get there. Um, so I, I mentioned at the beginning that, you know, these departments I oversee, were all kind of functioning separately. So my goal is really to start to think of them all as one group. Uh, so a lot of my efforts have been on like employee engagement across all the groups. So we're just um, this week getting ready to send out like the first employee newsletter that will go to all part-time staff in my departments, uh, which is just the, the kind of yeah, fun, high-level stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, we always use one at the Cubs and I really enjoyed it. And that was something even during the pandemic, the team was a, able, able to keep going as just like a touch point with, with the staff when, when they weren't working. Um, this, our first one has some photos for the 30th anniversary that we just celebrated of the 92, 93 team, uh, a little upcoming events calendar, MVP shout outs, which is our recognition tool for frontline staff. Um, I think we did some job postings like, Hey, here's some part-time and full-time job postings that you might, might want to be aware of. Uh, so those are what we're just starting off of. Um, it's just kind of fun engagement connection type pieces. Um, moving along, I'd like to also see us focus on um, different key behaviors or kind of if there's any service themes we want to work work in there, guest feedback as we're gathering more survey feedback. I think those are all, all things we can work in there. Uh, we're trying something as simple as Wacky Shoe Wednesday this week. Um, okay. So we're, on a, we're on a pretty long stretch of um, home games. This is week three, I think. Um, of having quite a bit of home games and in the NBA, as I quickly learned, like shoe culture is huge. So yep. um, your, your sneaker, sneaker culture is a really big deal. Um, and so in the front office, that's a big part of people's game day attire, game day attire. Um, but the staff have to wear kind of the plain black basic shoes that match their uniform. So we're going to try something fun this Wednesday and let them wear their own shoes um, and see how participation goes. And if, you know, that's just something that we can do to kind of, liven things up every now and then. So, um, yeah, I think those are some of the small things. And then I love that, um, planning ahead for next year. It's, I think would like to get ahead of that engagement calendar and would encourage anyone who's thinking about that to work really closely with your people and culture, HR team to kind of hand in hand, like, um, you know, we're not, they're not benefit eligible employees typically, but how can yeah. we provide them some benefits or, um, you know, little, little fun perks. I love that. I, I want to hit one more thing on the newsletter because I do think yeah. that is one of the really easy ways to create more employee engagement with yeah. whether it's your full-time people or with your part-time people. Mm -hmm. um, what, what platform are y'all using? How are you doing it? How are you like actually yeah, from a yeah. tactic perspective? How are you making the newsletter? Great. Uh, well, I have a lovely new intern who just started and she put one together in Canva for me. Easy. Uh, yeah, a free free account. Yeah, just log into Canva. Um, at the Cubs, we had uh, we were doing it in Word, but using like a a more formal graphic that the graphics sure. team had put together, right? So kind of our um, rally is the service program that we had at the Cubs. So it had like that logo and kind of the structure, and then we just went in there Microsoft Word 
and plugged in the different um, content each month. But and then do you, pretty, do you pretty like low lift once you get going. Do you print it out and are you handing it out in person or are you sending it to people's emails? Email, email attachment. And then we would usually print out a, a few copies, um, you know, to keep by the break room or yeah. somewhere if people want to flip through it. It doesn't have to be hard. Like there, there's it, when it comes to communication, like simple is better than complex. Clear is better than clever. And if you can just come up with something that's easy that you can repeat consistently, like that's going to win every time. Yeah. 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 And I certainly recommend just having the same categories, you know, like once you land on what you want your kind of topics to be, um, you're just plug stuff into those different sections each month. And uh, you can even rotate if different managers want to take, take a turn writing on it. Um, You know, it's a great, like I said, we have the intern helping great project for, for an intern. Uh, But yeah, pretty, pretty easy to pull together. Yeah, we had uh, so one of our one of our clients, Notre Dame, did a really great job. And for years, they've had this Usher newsletter, and we came in and and refreshed it a little bit. And we, to your point, we added some of those standards. And what we did with it, that was a really cool thing. That I'll, I'll toot, toot our own horn, and Katie on our <laughs> team drove a lot of this, um, where we would basically take a story from the game before that a great Usher did that reinforced one of our key values. And we would tell the story in the newsletter. So it wasn't like we we're just cramming down our values down and our behaviors yeah. down employees' throats. But we were using that in a fun way to recognize someone and also subtly be like, but do more of this, guys. Everybody that's reading this, like, do this and you can end up in the newsletter next week. Um, yeah, go ahead. exactly. I think that's how, um, you know, your Disney ran Southwest. Like, they're always cycling those stories that become almost like folklore that everyone knows about yeah. them. Um and it's telling people what they can do and what you expect without saying like, you should be more magical, you know? Yeah. It's, it's giving them the examples. One of, we have like 15 key pillars that we say drive culture. And one of them is tribal lore. It's funny you said folklore. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, what are those stories that you're consistently telling that reinforce your key behaviors that you're trying to drive with your employees? I love it. Um, All right. One thing I'm really curious about as we think about where you are with the Suns and this multi-use arena that is hosting all kinds of different events, I want to talk about the guest experience standards. How do they differ from event to event? If you're just doing basketball games, it makes sense, right? Shoe culture is a big deal. But how does that show up for a concert? So are there are there differences between the way that y'all deliver guest experience from event to event? What are the differences? What are the similarities? Um, I think we could probably get a little better at like tailoring some of our events. Um, Overall, I think, you know, some of the the standards, expectations um, are the same. Certainly based on the show, you know, efficiency might be a little more of a priority than courtesy if it's just we need to get everyone in the building so the show can start. Uh, Some of those adjustments, but we're in a unique area with um, just a lot of variety of shows. We have a lot of Spanish speaking shows, which was not something Mm. I had experienced before the Cubs. Um, but you know, I've been thinking more about how can we be more welcoming to Spanish speaking guests and adapt to those shows and educate ourselves on bands we've never heard of, but they're very famous in Mexico, um, or Spanish speaking guests. I think that's an interesting one. Um, there's some easy ones we, we can adapt to like Disney on ice, uh, you know, encourage the staff to wear Disney accessories, talk to them about how you would talk to kids at Disney calling them prince and princess. So there's some fun things. That's cool. Um, you could do there, but I certainly think um, just with the volume of 
non-game events that we're having here, that that's something we can continue to, to refine. To that point, I mean, with the volume that you have, it would be tough to just completely differ it. Like at Disney, I mean, you're, you're serving more or less the same yeah. show. You're serving it up to uh, the same audience, more or less, uh, week in, week out, day in, day out. But this is totally different. Like, I, I mean, I'm going to dig in a little bit deeper here. Like, yeah. how are you guys communicating different tasks for the upcoming Super Bowl Music Fest? Like, that's totally different than an <laughs> NBA game. So from a task perspective, how do you communicate those different tasks that they're going to have. Yeah, we just had a, a walk for that today. And that is a lot. It's three nights of concerts, two different artists each day. So you're basically adjusting to almost six different artists. Uh, in the course of three days, we're using activating spaces in our arena that we don't normally activate on show days. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts. Um, so this one we are going to get ahead of with some more advanced meetings and training with our staff than we normally would have usually on a concert day, mm -hmm. you just have this, you know, maybe all your team captains, supervisory staff come in a little earlier. So you have some buffer time to get settled, go over any questions. A lot of the floor staff will come in and walk the floor. So they have a, a feel for the space that day. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not, you know, requiring too much. But this one is, you know, packets of information and emails flying everywhere of like all these different things. So um, we're going to take some time this week to hopefully grab them before one of our our game on Wednesday or have them, you know, get, get on a call next week. So that the first time that the team captains are seeing this information, isn't right before the, the yeah. shows next week. And we have, we're hosting opening night on Monday as well. So NFL opening night, it was their media night. And that's a entirely different animal because the NFL is kind of running that. So it's NFL's clear bag policy and their accreditation um, policies and all of that. So you're really adapting to, to a lot of different events in one week. Um, and going back to the employee engagement piece, we're uh, actively planning some fun things around all of that because we know it's asking a lot of our, our full-time and part-time staff just in terms of hours, but also things they're going to have to adapt to um, that week that's kind of outside of their, their normal job scope. So we're really focused on that. But also, we think people want to work because it's going to it's going to be fun and you get to show yeah. off our arena on, you know, one of the biggest stages. So it's it's an honor to host it as well. OK, a couple super technical questions for you. Yeah. Uh, one. So is it mainly then team captains that are made aware of changes and then they're supposed to trickle it down to them? Or is it all staff that's getting made aware? Like, let's say a clear bag policy change happens. Um, that one would probably trickle down through most are going to trickle down okay. through team captains. Cause you're kind of, we're okay. briefing with them before the games. Um, yep. some things will go out, um, more broadly. They do have, um, a kind of weekly Monday email that goes out from guest services. And then the other departments pick and choose which pieces are relevant to their staff and, and forward those out too. Um, so that's something we've kind of been, been working on just on like a weekly it's a, that's when it's a little more operational in terms of like parking, uniforms, any mm -hmm. event changes on that, but working on that. But yeah, a lot of the information is disseminated through the, the team captains to then go back and brief the staff in their area. Got it. Um, all right. One more question on this. And then I want to switch over to something near and dear in your heart, uh, in your heart from the Cubs days. Uh, okay. But before before we get there, one thing that we've been working a lot with teams on and this this concept of know before you go. So when there are some of these big changes, 
one of the most effective ways and, and Disney did such a great job of this was you would get a lot of communication ahead of time of like, hey, before you come, before you get before you load up the car to come, here's what you need to know. In order for that to happen, the operations team's got to be working hand in hand with the marketing team. And the marketing yeah. team's got to know it's not just about sales. Part of that is how well are we prepping our fans to have a great experience? So talk to us a little bit about, I know there's been some changes with the Suns as to how you guys are communicating. So talk to us about what that communication looks like and, and maybe like some great examples from your history of how operations have communicated well with marketing. Yeah, I think uh, today was a good example. We had our kind of concert walkthrough and some of the marketing folks were on that walkthrough and at certain points would be like, as a fan, what would you want to tell me like about parking? You know, like what do we want to communicate about parking in this email? Um, so they, they send a note before you go emails um, as well as we have our own um, we have a footprint center social media separate from, you know, like the Suns mm -hmm, team account. Mm -hmm. um, so we can push, you know, any venue specific updates or reminders uh, via the footprint center. Um, so we'll collaborate on that of anything like specific we want to highlight. So like obviously clear bags for Mondays is a, a big change from our normal venue policy. So we've asked to, to hit that in, in a few different ways. Um, I think from my time at the Cubs, we just uh, having regular meetings with your marketing or comms or who's ever owning the website and the know before you go emails is really important. So we were always preseason doing the kind of annual review, like everyone in a room, let's go through the website and make sure it's accurate. And then some touch points throughout the year to say, is everything in this email still accurate that we're sending our guests? And would you like to change anything based on feedback you're getting? So I think just maintaining that regular kind of open door communication is important. There's a specific tactic that you just mentioned that I loved, which is I've sat in a lot of meetings between marketing and operations as just a consultant where we're helping improve customer experience. And I feel like a lot of times it's just updates, like marketing updates, the operations team update operations team updates the marketing team. But to your point around what happened today, your marketing team asked a specific question, which was, if I were a fan, what would you want to tell me about XYZ. And they're asking that so they can go communicate that out. So if you're in marketing, yeah. that is a question that you should be asking your operations team before every new type of event. As a fan operations team, what should I know? What do I need to know before coming? I love that. That It's a great way of framing it. Yeah, it was, I thought so as well. Because I think um, oftentimes, because we're used to the information as operators, it makes sense to us. Yeah. Um, but give it because especially I think of like bag policies, bag policies are confusing and they vary from venue to venue. So it's like, you know, everyone is like 14 by six, but what does that mean? But it's not a backpack, but, but it can have one pocket, you know, they're just all over the place. So like to us, that might make sense on what comes in, but you need someone from the outside to be like, help me explain this to a guest, like as a guest, help me interpret this. What, what should they know? I think that's where like the marketing partner or marketing and communications relationship is really important. Huge. Um, all right. I want to talk about your time with the Cubs a little bit. I know we, we've talked yeah. about it throughout, but you created a couple of different programs there. And one is around Wrigley Field's premium spaces. So you developed a, a premium services team, a team that really built a lot of close relationships with fans. And to the point where like they were mailing Christmas gifts uh, to the office. Yeah. So you, Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so love the premium team at Wrigley. I think 
we were in a unique position where we opened um, three new clubs and a renovated suite level within a span of two years. Uh, so for anyone who wasn't familiar with Wrigley or hadn't been there in a while, we had like no true premium spaces. So we had a couple people who worked on the suite level. Um, they had, I think, slightly different uniforms and maybe, you know, a little bit elevated responsibilities, but nothing too different from, from the rest of our staff. So when we were opening these new clubs, we knew like, they required a heightened level of service. We really wanted consistent, dedicated staff who could build those relationships with the clients and season ticket members um, every day. And so we did a combination of internal and external hiring um, and really looking for people that could, you know, one, work more than the minimum number of games that everyone else could just from that consistency piece. So Love that. could you commit to, yeah, can you commit to a little bit higher attendance than everyone else? so that we can try to keep people in the same places as much as possible. Um, and then um, when I'm generally hiring for frontline staff, you know, uh, it's not, no experience is needed, right? You know, we're hiring a lot of people's first time job, 16, uh, 16 years old, uh, all different ages, uh, but you're just, usually you're looking for someone who's friendly, outgoing, has an interest in being in your venue, um, kind of the basics. For the premium team, we were looking for customer service experience and whether that was, um, you know, Starbucks, retail, um, restaurants just already had that kind of customer service experience and knew how to build those those one on one relationships, a little bit more refined level of service, um, being taking ownership. Um, I don't know that that was something that we necessarily looked for immediately, but a lot of the staff that came in um, took a lot of pride and ownership in their those spaces. So I think as we as we evolved, that was something that you know kind of looked for who's going to own that position and want to stay in it and work work a lot of games and make make the space better and, and improve it. Um, and then um, someone who, even though these are you know sometimes high wealth individuals or your VIP celebrities might be coming through there someone who can treat everyone equally and mm. not be thrown off by, yeah. by the, the fan aspect of it a little bit. You know, you want someone with discretion and poise and who's, who's not intimidated by different people coming, coming through their spaces. Yeah. That makes a ton of t sense. And again, to your point around them building that one-on-one -on -one relationship, like to give people more context of like the type of stuff. I mean, you had like an accessibility team that was picking fans up at the gates yeah. Uh, like an airport service almost, getting them to their seats. I mean, so your premium people were really, you, you had different levels of people that w were on the team that were really engaging in different ways and you had to hire accordingly. Um, so yes, I, yeah. I love that. Maybe, I, I guess, talk to us a little bit about the accessibility team. Is that, how different was that from the premium team in terms of the way you recruited? Yeah, I think that one is a good like comparison because it was all internal. Um, hmm. So... Premium team was um, anyone internal was given the chance to apply and move over, um, but with the understanding they'd only work in the premium spaces and have to kind of meet those higher minimums, but we would hire external. The accessibility team already sort of loosely existed when I first got there. You know, there were some consistent people who worked in the ADA seating sections um, or helped with the wheelchair runs, um, but we formalized it my, my second season there. Um, and it really took off after that so much so that there was like a waiting list of 
internal staff who wanted to move on to the accessibility team and learn the learn how to do the wheelchair escorts um, and work some of those seating sections, um, which is just awesome. And I think a testament to the, the accessibility supervisor in the team there. Um, but I would that's say, what I, was, I think- I was, I was, Oh, go yeah. ahead, go ahead. I was, I, well, I was going to ask, I was going to say, like, that's normally not a role that I would think would have a waiting list. No, and I was yeah. going to ask, like, why, how, how and why did it have a waiting list? But you said as a testament to the lead supervisor that was there. Yeah, we had a, a great accessibility supervisor, Chuck. He's still there. Um, and I think this, he was able to just focus on that. So there was a lot of, like, one-on-one -on -one relationship building between him and some of the guests, between him and the staff, the staff and the guests. Um, and then I think um, formalizing the program and empowering them and kind of giving them, you know, nothing was really different about their day to day job. They're still hired as guest services ambassadors, wore the same uniform. Um, we did give them some extra training and resources um, to uh, just be more educated on accessibility topics and make sure they were, were comfortable. Uh, but once we formalized it, it really seemed to like, grow and kind of have its own internal brand. And the staff took a lot of pride in what they did. Um, and we got tons of positive comments. Like that was probably my most popular like um, type of feedback was positive comments for the ADA team. So I think that then just reinforced, yeah. you know, kind of like self-reinforced that get, the staff had pride. They kept giving positive feedback. More people wanted to join in and it was a really positive circle. All right, a um, couple more questions here before we, we head out. I know our time is limited here. So from an ongoing training perspective, what are some of the things that you've employed that you found successful? Because we've talked about this as a recurring theme throughout the podcast that at Disney, you got reps in every day. At a baseball team or at a ballpark or an arena, it's very different. So how have you, what approaches have you used to reinforce training throughout the season? I wouldn't say that I've perfected this yet because it's just always hard, right? Um, the seasons just move so fast. You can plan ahead and like have a, a date saved on the calendar and something comes up and it gets moved. Yeah. Um, I think on the, if you say like least effort, lowest lift end, um, at least having monthly all staff briefings is really important to me. Um, at the Cubs, um, we varied. We had them all the time when I first started. Then we kind of varied based on um, feedback and the supervisors wanting to get some briefing time too. Um, but at least once a homestand, all staff that were able were meeting for a pregame briefing, hearing from someone on the leadership team. I started that here. When you say someone from the uh, leadership team, like who are you, like what level are you talking about? Um, it could be from the managers up to like vice presidents or, or bringing in, you know, guest speakers. I would usually try to get the SVP in front of them. The team president dropped by once once a year. We could get you know get yeah, him on the it. calendar. So kind of making a, a mix there. Um, and then here um, I brought the once a month team huddles. So it's with, with our start times, we have to do two different ones to get everyone through. Uh, but just trying to get them a few updates. Also bring in a guest speaker real quick. Um, just kind of share information so they're getting it yeah. directly from from a leader. Um, I think what I'd you know, love to do long-term is pre-plan some of those uh, service or, or training touch points. Um, we, we don't have a, an online learning system here yet, but that's certainly something 
I want to explore because I think as that becomes more prevalent, there's a lot of ways to record a video and get it out to your teams or yeah. find a find a cool online class just to keep it regular. Um, and understandably, a lot of the focus is on sun season here, um, yep. but we're operating year round, so you have to keep keep that energy and that information fresh um, year round. We uh, we had a great conversation. I don't know if you know her, Vanessa Hoffman, uh, over at the Blue Jays. Um, anyway, they we had a great conversation with her a couple yeah. weeks ago, and they she was telling us she's like hyper focused on this one topic. So we might mm-hmm. do like a mini episode with her, where they've like she's just building online trainings constantly for the teams. And I'm like, oh, you guys are on another level right now from a lot of other yeah. teams that are doing a really good job as is. Um, but to your point, I mean, nobody's got it down perfect, right? Um, all right, we're wrapping up here. What final advice would you give to our listeners? Think about it as yourself two years ago, three years ago. What final pieces of advice would you give to our listeners to ultimately get better at delivering employee experience? You know, I think if you, I would just say go go for your ideas, test things out. I think sometimes we tend to wait for an idea to be proven or you wait till you read a cool article about what another team is doing. But I I would encourage people, if you have an idea, don't assume just because no one's doing it, that they, that it's a bad idea. Maybe they just haven't thought of it or most likely they didn't have the time uh, to execute it. But certainly, you know, think outside the box and and test out your ideas. I think um, none of us are in this traditional sports kind of world anymore. We're, We're entertainment venues. A lot of places have external entertainment areas around their venues. I I think um, that would be one of my pieces of advice. And then just continuing to focus on the employee experience and making sure that that's super strong so that you can build your guest service experience off that. This has been so much fun, Vanessa. I really appreciate you coming on the show, spending time with us, letting us really dive deep into the way you approach delivering a great, incredible fan experience. Um, Where can people reach you? Where can people follow along your journey if they want to get in touch with you, ask you questions? Yeah, I try to be active on LinkedIn, uh, hit or miss, depending on how uh, busy I am here. But I um, will get on there and check messages. also, anyone's free to email me. It's just vward at sons.com. So pretty easy to, to reach out there and always happy to connect with folks in the sports industry. Fantastic. Well, Vanessa, it's been great having you on the show. To everybody listening, thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thanks, David. See you. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.